listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org, and I'm your host, Dave Stovall. Today, we're listening to The Bonhoeffer Project. We've got Cindy Perkins and Crystal Gibson, and they're talking to us about the words disciple and discipline. They have the exact same root and different engagement in your spiritual walk. Often, words have been changed so many times that they no longer resemble the original root word. It's the same way with these two words. God's word is clear about our command to make disciples. He also showed us that discipleship is a long game. We must be patient as we disciple others. In order to experience the abundant life God has planned for us, we must experience whole person discipleship. Let's listen in to this conversation with Crystal and with Cindy and let their stories of how this has worked in their lives encourage us today. Enjoy the episode, everybody. This is Bonhoeffer Project. Here we go. My name is Cindy Perkins. I get to serve as the Chief Operating Officer for the Bonhoeffer Project. That is my uh, second role in my day job. I'm a college professor, so uh, one end to the other, uh, but all discipleship. It's all discipleship. So I'm guessing that all of you came to this breakout because you love discipline, right? Yes, we have discipline lovers in the room. So I want to read, I want to start out with the dictionary definition of the word discipline. It says, the practice of training people to obey rules or a code of behavior using punishment to correct disobedience. The controlled behavior resulting from discipline. The activity or experience that provides mental or physical training, a system of rules and conduct. A branch of knowledge, typically one studied in higher education. And the verb is to train, discipline. So we think about discipline. I think our society has made that a bad word. When, when I say the word discipline, what do you think? Grounding. Consequences, grounding, right? Punishment, timeout, all those things. You know, I send my bosses to timeout now and then. So there's a fine art in that. Right? <laughs> yeah, Mike says in West Virginia, we got a whooping. We didn't get timeout. There was no timeout. It was just the whooping. So, so we think about that. Our society has caused us to have a negative connotation of the word discipline, when in actuality, it is not that at all. The root of the word discipline is disciple, right? We don't think about that. We don't think about the fact that, that they come from the same Latin word, which is disciplus, which means a student or one who studies. So the discipline is one who studies, right? A, dis a disciple is not just a follower, but he is one who studies how God's word works. The word discipline is also in the Latin, the word disciplina, which means instruction and training, and the Latin root of the word dicere, D-I-S-C-E-R-E, which means to learn. I'm, I love words. Did you guys figure that out? Love words, love looking to the root of words because we change our language. Sandy talked in our last session about the language of disciple making. And in our world right now, we're in a place where the, the language that we use changes daily, right? There are words that used to mean one thing and now no longer mean that same thing and can get you in trouble if you're not keeping up with the times, right? And I'm not going to tell you what those are because then we'll just all be in trouble. 
So <laughs> in a bit, Crystal's going to tell you a little bit more about discipline. But first, I want to talk to you about what it means to be a studying disciple. Okay? What are some of the characteristics you think of when, um, when I say a disciple? What are some of the characteristics of a disciple? Consistency. Okay, what else? Teaching. Teaching. Okay. Relationship. Relationship. What else? Loving. Loving. Compassion. What else? Nurturers. Listening. So many. Like there's so many lists. We actually have put out a book with 52 characteristics of a disciple. Only 52. There are many, many more. But that would give you an opportunity to to think about that. We're going to give away some of those books in a little bit. But in our last uh, cohort meeting, we have a lady in Brazil, and she is working on her definition of a disciple. That's part of what we do in the Bonhoeffer Project. And she says a disciple is a successor. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to steal that. I told her, and she said I could. So there we have it. A disciple, a disciple is a successor. What, what is the difference? We read in Scripture that we're to be ambassadors for Christ. We read in Scripture that we're heirs with Christ. But what's the difference if we think of ourselves as successors? What's a successor do? Is that, what, is that what's going to happen? <laughs> well, probably. So, so a successor is a receiver. You're receiving the benefits that come along with the title, with the job, and then, they and then they carry on, right? That's the key as we move that piece forward, and that's where the discipline would come in, right? Um, many of the characteristics that you mentioned are in, in the book, but I want to tell you that what happens is it all starts with relationship. Very seldom do you ever see a successor that comes in that's a true successor. I'm not talking about a hostile takeover in business, but you see a successor come into an organization. They have had relationship with the person who leads the organization, right? So when we look at discipleship, the first thing that has to happen, and I know this is not news to you, but sometimes I think it's just a great reminder for us that we have to have relationship with Christ and with one another in order to disciple well. So what does that relationship look like? Somebody tell me what that relationship looks like for you. If you can't tell, I'm an interactive teacher. This is how, this is how we learn, okay? What's your relationship look like, or how do you develop that relationship with God? Spending time. What's that look like? Reading the Word, okay? So there's a whole lot in the Word. That's how we find the character of Christ which then helps us understand the characteristics of a disciple, right? How else? Okay. Teachings from other teachers. God speaks to us through other people. And so leaders are readers and readers are leaders. That's how that happens. We continue to learn. We continue to grow. We continue to engage our brains and our hearts in that place with God. What else? Worshiping. Worshiping. Worship is huge for us as we step into that place of understanding what it means to be a disciple. Embracing the grace. Ah, embracing the grace. Like when I realize how much grace He has given me, because I wasn't always church lady. I don't know. Any of you? You didn't grow up. You, you weren't church lady. 
Vince, I'm so glad you were not church lady. <laughs> right? But, but some of us had a life prior to Jesus, right? Like all of us had a life prior to Jesus, but some of us had a really ugly life prior to Jesus. <laughs> a worldly life. We'll call it a worldly life prior to Jesus. And so I realized that the grace that he has given me is the grace that I must give to other people. And in that relationship, he brings me into that place of understanding who he is, how he is, and then how to be more like him as I help others to be more like him. We're going to talk a little bit later this afternoon. One of the ways that we can know um, that, that we are actually discipling, making Jesus-style disciples, is if they're discipling other people. If they're not discipling other people, you're making disciples of you. And so then we ask the question, and I ask this every time I get with a group of people because I think it's really important. Are you the kind of disciple that you want your disciples to be? Because if you're not, that's a place for you to go and spend some time with God. What else? How else do you develop your relationship with God? Listening. Are you reading my notes? You guys are reading my notes. This is good. So listening, why is listening important? It's relationship, right? So if we're having a conversation, if I'm doing all the talking and you're not talking and I'm not listening, then it's not really a relationship. It's a lecture, right? And that's not how Jesus engaged people. He engaged people by listening and communicating, listening and communicating. Some of us are better communicators than others. Uh, some of us have more time for relationship. Relationships take time and they are messy. They're messy, right? And if I'm not willing to get in the mess with somebody, I am not really discipling them. Like Bible study is a really important part of what we do in discipleship. And prayer is a really important part of what we do. Worship, listening, all those things are important. But if I'm not willing to get in the mess and spend time with people, I'm not really going to be discipling them to find out who Jesus is and how to follow Jesus, how to be a successor for Jesus, right? We, we have to teach them. I think about the scripture that tells us uh, that we need to know the voice of the shepherd. And how do you get to know the voice of the shepherd? How do you get to know that? How do you teach somebody else to know the voice of the shepherd? That's a really important part of our discipleship is, is teaching them to be able to listen and hear the voice of God, not just the cacophony of sound that happens around us all the time. Because there's voices always looking for our attention. And we've got to be able to sort through that mess and get to the place where we hear God. It takes time to learn voices. Michael would know that, right? Right? So... As we're leading others, we can only take them where we have been. We cannot take them where we have not been. Um, Anne Spangler and Lois Tverberg wrote a book years ago called um, Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus. Excellent, excellent book. But they talk about this phenomenon called the dust of the rabbi. And they, the way that rabbis in, in Jewish culture would bring their message to those that they would disciple is they would do life with them. Just like we saw Jesus for three and a half years-ish, he walked with these guys. 
and he did everything with them. They were right there with him. But the way that these men and women would would step in with the rabbis, they would get close enough to watch every move that they made, from their facial expressions to their hand movements, how they interacted with people, and that was how they carried on the message that the particular rabbi that they were following had. And it was said that they would sometimes follow so closely that the dust from their sandals would kick up onto the, the robes that they were wearing. And that's how you knew it was a real disciple who would follow that closely that the dust of the rabbi they would carry with them. And I just thought that was a really interesting understanding of what discipleship is. Um, is that apprenticeship. We used to be a society of apprenticeship, right? Of the trades. If you have anybody in here, an electrician, a plumber, steel worker, any of those kind of things. Okay, so you did an apprenticeship. Tell me a little bit about your apprenticeship, Keith. Well, uh, I was a dicing apprentice, six years, six years of apprenticeship. Okay. They had schooling, you had to, um, you were taught by the basics and just worked a little bit each time adding on to all the what you, the basics you started out uh, how to lay out a job how to start rough milling until you get to then from that after a couple years you get to learn how to do the finished milling and, yeah but it was uh day in day out learning just a constant movement in a forward direction about a specific topic right so when we think about discipleship as an apprenticeship we think about that daily walk, that daily movement toward becoming more like Christ. Sometimes I really wish we would call it apprenticeship because that's the method that we look at that Jesus gave us. But we don't really in our society, I mean, when you look in this room, um, two people raised their hands that they had been in an apprenticeship. So we've forgotten what that looks like because we've not walked in that. I don't think you're probably right. You're, yeah, yeah, well, because he doesn't have to, right? So, so there is that apprenticeship in still in many things. You can't be an electrician in the state of Florida where I'm from without an apprenticeship. I think you can be a plumber, but you can't be a pipe fitter. You can't, there are certain jobs and understandably so, because without proper training, they're dangerous. I posit to you the church is the same way. Without proper training, I think we're dangerous because I think we give people just enough, but never the full amount. And so we engage in that discipleship, which brings us into that place of the full and proper training so that we're not sending people down a pathway that's not going to lead them to ultimately follow Jesus. I've seen way too many, way too many disciples of people rather than disciples of Jesus. So we got to go back to scripture. I want you to go with me if you've got your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 10 we're going to look at. So I think this might be where we get off track. 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 3 says, "All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." It is by his great mercy that we've been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, 
beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him, even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this great, gracious salvation prepared for you. So we look in this place, and I think this is, this is um, a picture of that apprenticeship. He says, your faith is going to be strengthened by your trials. Too many of the folks that we disciple, that we encounter in our churches, are not able to withstand the trials that are coming at them. Right? We see that. We see that especially in our younger generation. We've not prepared them. I regularly apologize to the youngers in the room. We're so sorry we messed it up. But we're trying to fix that, right? We're trying to help you and help all of us, those who have not been discipled, figure out how this thing works, how we are able to engage other people, how we are to engage the trials in our lives, because stuff comes, right? Stuff comes. You lose a loved one the cancer diagnosis comes on and on and on and on. That stuff hits us because we live in this fallen world. And without discipleship, our people don't know how to handle life. And so they disintegrate and their faith falters. And so I think it's our responsibility to step in and do something about that. But we have to remember it's the long game. This doesn't happen in a six-week study. This doesn't happen overnight. It's not going to happen in a year. Discipleship is the long game. When I take on a new disciple, I say to them, okay, here's, here's what I'm going to tell you. We're going to meet extensively for a year, but we're in this thing for life. I'm going to be discipling you for life. So I need you to understand and be okay with that. Otherwise, you're going to have to find somebody else to do this because I can't just take you through a study and send you out and think you're going to be okay in that place because that's not how it works. That's not how it, it is supposed to work, right? Dennis Allen in his book, The Disciple Dilemma, says a culture change is much more like growing an oak tree. It takes time. It consumes resources. And yet such massive change in thinking and life is essential to reform every disciple to the ways of Christ. So I'm going to turn it over to my friend Crystal. Crystal serves as our Director of Operations. So we tell people we're the coup, uh, uh, Chief Operating Officer, and the do, the Director of Operations. So the coup and the do of the Bonhoeffer Project. Crystal's going to talk to you a little bit about the discipline, and then I'll come back and tie us up. Thank you, Cindy. Well, hello. Um, so when Cindy asked me to talk a little about personal spiritual disciplines, um, I immediately correlate that to physical exercise. It's a little unfortunate that that's an easier way for us to be disciplined than it is in our spiritual walk. My husband and I were talking about that. But 
Um, my husband and I are pretty diligent about getting up in the mornings. You can't maybe tell, but we work out every morning. We get up at 4.30 because my kids get up at 6.30. So if I want to work out and I want to have time with God, I have to get up at 4.30. <laughs> um, so that requires a lot of discipline. And my stepdad... Um, he jokes around with me a lot. We do beach body on demand. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that. It's just easiest. And I get to work out with my husband, which really motivates me to keep doing it. Um, but my stepdad jokes around with me and he'll say something like, you know, I sat on my couch and I watched the entire program of P90X and nothing changed. <laughs> I didn't get stronger. I didn't lose any weight. Um, and, and when I'm thinking about this, God just made it so clear to me that partial discipline can never lead to full transformation. And so my stepdad, in this silly scenario, was partially disciplined. He was committed every day to sitting on his couch. And he didn't really do this, by the way. Um, but watching this every day. So that's a partial discipline. But the only way true transformation, full transformation would happen is if he fully engaged in that, right? With his body, with his mind, with the way he ate. So Steve Lawson says it this way. He says, growth in personal holiness is largely determined by our progress in self-discipline. He goes on to say that many believers have so abused their freedom in Christ that they have virtually no spiritual discipline. Such neglect of self-discipline prolongs their spiritual immaturity, leaving them with little self-control to temptation and sin. So let us be clear. If there is no discipline, there is no discipleship. It's the tension between license and legalism. Because often when we talk about these things of spiritual disciplines, we get into the, oh, this is a works-based conversation. But it's all about our heart motive. Um, so if the goal then is engaging in these disciplines as a way to completely transform ourselves on a spiritual level into the likeness of Christ, how do we do that? We can't do it in our own power. How do we help someone move out of chronic impatience and anger into this habitual posture of peace? How do we help someone step out of lust into freedom in their thought life, in their sexual life? How do we help someone go from thinking spiritually, it's all about me, to participating in this bigger story of God that shifts us from a self-focused life to a God-focused in us and then through us to others. So how do we do that? Um, in churches all over the world, we share this belief that if I read the Bible enough, if I talk about the Bible enough with other people who are reading the Bible, I'm going to be transformed. We have this belief that information equals transformation. If I just shove enough information into my brain, I'll be changed on the outside. But is that actually true? Have you learned that to be true in your own personal experience? Um, we know it in our heads when we get into this place of information, but do we know it in our hearts? And so Paul tells us very clearly that knowledge puffs up. Jesus made it very clear uh, what he thought about those who only engaged in these on a legalistic point of view, that they were whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but full of death on the inside. 
So what did Jesus teach us about transformation then? He taught us that it's only when we engage in a real, meaningful relationship, first with God and then with others, that that actual transformation will take place. In these relationships, if we engage them properly with our hearts and not just our heads, then we open ourselves up to a personal, transformational encounter with the only one who has the power to change us in any way, shape, or form. And then that also empowers us to live and love the way Jesus loves and teach other people how to do the same. So practicing spiritual disciplines makes us acutely aware of three things. First, our adoption into the family of Jesus, that we are children of the King, but that adoption comes with a great responsibility. We're also ambassadors. We are called to represent Christ well. And can we do that if we're not spending time with him, like Cindy was saying? We don't become like people we don't spend time with. You've heard it. You become like the people you spend the most time with. So are we spending most of our time with Jesus? And then lastly, it, it helps us come into this awareness of our abundant life, the abundant life that we have in God, who is a good father and loves to give his children good gifts. Uh, not the kind of gifts maybe my children would want who are five and eight, but the kind of gifts that we know we need as adults. So the key here is that it's made us aware. I want to make it very clear here that this is not a works-based thing. This is all a heart issue, and this is... Just set your mind on the, on the fact that these practices are going to teach us how to be the people that God created us to be, they teach us how to love God the most so that we can love others well. So partial discipline can never lead to full transformation. It's imperative that we engage in them in the right motive with the right heart, not as an option that we can choose to do or not to do. We talk about that a lot at the Bonhoeffer Project, separating salvation and discipleship. Um, discipleship is what leads us into that transformation. <laughs> Not as a, this could maybe even be worse, a box to check off in our walk with Christ. So Henry Nguyen, I'm actually pulling this from one of the books that we uh, go through in our cohorts at Bonhoeffer. It's called Learning to Live and Love Like Jesus. Probably one of my favorite because it speaks so much to this personal discipline so that we can get our lives in better shape. I won't say right or arrived. Um, but we can have ourselves more prepared to teach other people how to follow these ways. But he says that discipline is the other side of discipleship. Discipleship without discipline is like waiting to run in a marathon without ever practicing. It's important, however, to realize that discipline in the spiritual life is not the same as discipline in sports. Discipline in sports is concentrated or is the concentrated effort, rather, to master the body so it can obey the mind. Discipline in the spiritual life, however, is concentrated effort to create the space and time where God can become our master and where we can respond freely to God's guidance. Thus, discipline is the creation of boundaries that keep time and space open for God. Solitude requires discipline. Worship, someone said that earlier, requires discipline, caring for others, 
requires discipline. They all ask us to set apart time and space and a place where God's gracious presence can be acknowledged and responded to. Timothy puts it this way in uh, chapter 1 Timothy, chapter 4, 7, and 8. He says, don't waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. It is sad that we have more discipline with ourselves physically than we do spiritually. Timothy makes that really clear which one is more important. So what are these disciplines? You're probably familiar with them. I love the way this book breaks them down, and then I'm going to bring Cindy back up here in a second. But um, Brandon Cook, just very thoughtful in the way he put this together. Um, He breaks them down into three categories. So the first is the slow life. The practices in the slow life are unhurriedness, silence, silence, (laughs) that one's hard, Sabbath, and hospitality. And then in the grounded life, the second category, you've got scripture, prayer, fasting, risk. Those are ones that we are probably more familiar with or maybe even mostly engaged in. The first section, in my own personal experience and in the lives of those I've discipled, the slowness, that's one of the hardest things for us to master. And then the last section is the generous life, forgiveness. That one might possibly be the hardest one to actually walk out. Gratitude, giving, and telling the story. So I know we know all of these things in our heads, right? But do we know them and then do we actually engage in them in our lives and with the people that God has placed in our lives? We went through this book with my small group um, that my husband and I lead in our home every week. And when we first started it, they continued to tell me that, oh, this is so basic. There is nothing new or really exciting in this book. And my husband, who does not mince words, just said, but are you doing it? And then are you teaching other people how to do it? So if we go back to my stepdad, if he wanted to experience total transformation, he would have needed to do much more than sit on the couch and watch. We need to do much more than sit in our studies and read our Bibles. He would have needed to actively work his body. He would have needed to get good, consistent rest. That's the slow life, right? He would have needed to change his diet and nourish his body. That's the grounded life. This one's maybe a stretch, but he would have needed to be well hydrated. I was going on a living water reference there, but the the connection is falling away. (laughs) But you see where I'm going. Um, So if we want to teach those we disciple how to live in love like Jesus, we have to first practice these disciplines ourselves. Not just some of the time, and not just some of them, but all of them all the time. I know that seems like a tall order, but this is not something that we do in our own strength. It says self-discipline, but self-discipline in Galatians is a fruit of the Spirit. So for me, it's always been helpful to think of it more as Spirit-led discipline. I am relinquishing control of what I think is best for my life to the Holy Spirit and trusting that he knows what is best for my life. Brandon Cook leaves it this way. We have the responsibility to take our spiritual lives and arrange them in such a way that it creates space for encounter. And these are not just for us. They're meant to flow in us and then through us to those that we lead. 
So I am going to pass it back to Cindy, who is going to tie it all together. So the question is, are you disciplined? Thank you, Crystal. Where, where, what area of your life do you need more discipline? See, we're whole beings. We can't compartmentalize. Well, okay, I'll take care of the physical t this week, and but these other things wait. We, we've got to think about ourselves as whole beings because transformation, as Crystal said, doesn't happen partially. It happens completely. And so we need to take a good look at our own lives. This is the place of self-reflection for you. Um, where do you need more discipline in your life? Do you need more discipline in your physical health, right? So, so I'm in that category. Like I need to walk more, but, but do I make time? No. Is that honoring God? No. So, so I get convicted every time I talk about the disciplines of the spirit because taking care of your body honors God, right? Do you need more work in your emotional health? Statistically, most American adults, uh, or many American adults, maybe not most, but many American adults stopped emotionally moving forward at between the ages of 12 and 16, which is why we see so much depression and anxiety and all those kind of things. And sadly, that's trickled down to the next generation, which is now currently Gen Z, according to the statistics, is the most anxious generation that has ever lived, even barring those who lived during World War II and the Great Depression. Constant communication. Your body is not intended to take in information 24-7. We're not. Our brains have to rest. Correct. Right. Right. Yeah, so we, we have to know uh, that God is the source of peace, and we have to know how to tap into that peace, and part of that is through the discipline of walking in the Spirit of God, right? So our, our way of engagement has changed, and part of the Jesus model of discipleship is that one-on-one -on -one or one-on-two or three relational face-to-face -face encounter. Um, so we've got to, we've got to pay attention to that because emotionally that will stunt our growth and the growth of the people around us. We've got to take a good look at our spiritual growth. Like who's discipling you and who are you discipling? Because we all need to be in one category or another, whether we've got a Paul in our life or a Barnabas who is that come alongside or a Timothy who we're walking through the process of spiritual growth. We should all have those. And if you don't have somebody that's pouring into your life, go find them. That's part of spiritual growth, is being able to be submitted to and accountable to other human beings. We're not good at that, right? We're, we are the most independent nation on the face of the earth, and our independence is killing us. So we've got to be willing to submit to somebody else who's further along in their faith or who is where they are so that because I have blind spots and we call them that because I don't see them. So I need my friends. Crystal, Crystal helps me with my blind spots, right? And, and so we need our friends to tell us where those are. And then we need to pay attention to our intellectual development. It is important for us to constantly be renewing our minds with what God has to say. That is really important. And there are hundreds of great podcasts and books and organizations here. Doesn't have to be us, find somebody. But we are whole beings and we must pay attention to all of who we are.
So my question that I leave you with today is who's discipling you and who are you discipling? Because Jesus left the church with one job, and that was to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that he has commanded us. And so we've got to get about it. Whatever that looks like for you in your context, give you just a little synopsis of what we do at the Bonhoeffer Project. We work in cohorts of six to six to eight people typically. We go for six to ten months, depending on how long you want to be. Some of the some of the cohorts are six months, so cohorts some are ten. Some people, uh, some of us need longer. I just needed longer to sit in it because the rest of my life was busy, so I needed longer space. Maybe I'm a little hard-headed, maybe. So, but we take you through a process of examining your gospel, of defining what a disciple is, of figuring out how you want to make disciples in your context, because every context is different. And so we walk you through the process in such a way that when you come out at the end, you have a plan that you can go and implement in your context and, and take back to begin a discipling process. You don't have to be the senior pastor to do that. It's great when the senior pastor does. Life is much, much easier that way. But if you're not the senior pastor, if you sit in the second chair, if you're a lay person, God has still called you to disciple. And so we walk you through that process. I deal with a lot of women, because I lead women's cohorts, and I deal with a lot of women who are not not even on a church staff, but who need to be about discipling in their context. One of the disciplines that I've seen that's very important in passing on the disciplines of the faith is is serving them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very difficult to get to know somebody who's just not getting it, <laughs> and it's frustrating. Um, but you know, if you so if you don't have a servant attitude, you know, you know this isn't worth it. You know, and and you know that's so there's. It's, it, with the apprenticeship, it's not just the disciple mm-hmm. apprenticing underneath, you know, somebody who knows more than I do, but the the person in, in you know, passing on the stuff is is serving in the other direction. It's correct. Just like Jesus did for us, you know, he, he humbled himself, yeah. even death on the cross. You know, like he, yeah. he went all the way, giving us everything that he possibly could. Yeah. So serving is a part of one of the characteristics of a disciple. When we are truly disciples of Christ, we are servants. And that's the first thing we think about, not the last, right? So we, we want to make sure that we're walking in those places. Um, so we're here. We can um, give you any information about the project. But I just wondered if you guys have any questions. We've got a little bit of time for some Q&A. Um, so do you have any questions for us? I had one. I came in late, so I apologize. That's okay. Uh, uh, in developing with cohorts, uh, you know, your, your plans for discipleship and all that, is that normally done face-to-face or is it done, you know, Zoom or something like that? So that's a really good question, uh, both. We, we have multiple options, depending on whether or not you are local. Uh, with the person who is leading. We have people all over the U.S., but depending on who's leading when is whether it's going to be local, drivable for you. Um, 
But what we do is, like, sometimes I'll run a hybrid cohort. I'll have people local who come to my house, but we all sit at computers. We figured out how to do that well, and then we'll have people all over the world. We've had women from Cameroon. We've got one now in the group that Crystal's leading, and I'm walking through with her teaching training, um, and she's in Brazil. So the, that's the beauty of Zoom is that we can be all over the world and effective in that place. So we've got multiple options. There are some that are online only, uh, some that are online asynchronous, which means that you work at your time. Um, that's an academia world word, uh, but you work at the time when you're able to work. And then you meet with a, with a leader and then a couple of meetings with a group of people. Uh, there are the, the, uh, in-person ones and then there are the hybrid groups. So, depending on what time you start and what the available availability is for the new group starting as to what they would be. How are the cohorts set mm -hmm. up? Are they, do you, like, the first, does the person get to request the leader that they want? Sure. Or, okay. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can request. You can always request. If you know somebody that's leading a cohort or if it's somebody that, that you've seen, uh, you can certainly request, and, and it depends. Like, Crystal and I are in the middle of one right now, so I probably won't lead another one until... January, but we have a ladies group starting in June. Carmelita Boyce, who leads our women's division, is going to be starting a women's group in June. Kenny um, Sexton is going to be starting a group in June. He is in Fitzgerald, Georgia, but he'll be doing a hybrid group because I think he's got a couple of guys local that are going to be with him. Um, okay, Ed would like to start one next month, Ed Spurlock, and he is in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. And, uh, but it'll be a hybrid group. His last group, I think, had people in Wyoming, and Felix was in um, Louisiana, went through a group with Ed. So, uh, so they're all over the place. So um, it's on our website. You can see the groups that we have coming up. And uh, we, we, we try to have something starting every month is what we try to do. Most months we get there. Not always. So what other questions might you have? about what we talked about, about the project. Typically, if you have a question, somebody else in the room does too, so it has the same question. So, so I have a lot of people, um, <laughs> but I'm a people person, so how many cohorts have I actually led or assisted with? Probably 15, maybe 20. I've been with the Bonhoeffer Project about six years, seven years now. And so I've probably led 15 cohorts. Um, some of the folks that are in cohorts move on. I still have contact with them. But I've got a group of ladies from Michigan who uh, didn't want to quit meeting. And so... <laughs> So we have a group that meets every other Tuesday night online. Um, a lot of these ladies are pastors in their churches, and so we, I, I still disciple them. Uh, I have a group from a previous church where I attended that still wants me to disciple, and then a group at the church that I'm at now, and then a group at the college. And so, But I have great people who work with me, so I'm able to step in and do, still engage in relationship with them, but I have people who help. So just like Jesus had the 12 guys that he had, and uh, then he had the three that he was focused. I'm usually not focused on more than three or four at a time. 
I have a question, and you don't have to get personal on this, but um, you mentioned, you know, I've had real life. <laughs> um, does, do you find that that um, makes you more effective mm -hmm. in dealing with certain groups, or when you're discipling, does that turn, a, you know, off some people? Or when some people so, so our question is, for that, they're recording this, the question is, um, because I lived a life before Jesus, did uh, does that help me in my discipleship? Does that uh, hinder me in my discipleship? I will tell you to this point, it's never hindered me. People appreciate the fact that you uh, are honest about your real life and uh, try to be really honest. I, one of the first things that I do when I'm discipling people is we sit down and share stories. And after I've shared mine, they're really happy to share theirs. And so, because <laughs> it sets the table and, and levels it out. But what it has done is it has helped me to be able to minister to women, because I'm also a licensed pastor. So it has helped me to be able to minister to women uh, in such a way through some things that are difficult, that might even be difficult for their pastors to walk them through because it's a female thing. Sure. So, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's, I think it's really powerful yeah. in that place. You asked a question, a follow-up, how many, Jack, how many uh, groups do, have we had? We've had about... Um, I'm going to say probably 1,300 graduates of the Bonhoeffer Project. We're probably about 1,300 right now. So we do a pretty significant work in Cameroon and um, Argentina, Brazil, work with some church planters in those areas uh, in the UK, in uh, northern India, which is really, God's pray for northern India. They're under so much persecution right now. We're having a hard time even just contacting our guys over there because it's so dangerous for them if they are on a Zoom call. And so it's really dangerous. So um, so that's, that's where we've landed in that place. Our hope is that this continues to spread because when you think about it, 1,300 graduates, each one of those people affects a church or an organization. That's a, that's a significant amount of people moved for the kingdom. And so this is why we give our lives to it. Um, all of us are bivocational except Crystal. She's our one full-time person because she is the glue that holds us all together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> so we, uh, we make sure she is taken care of and the rest of us are bivocational. So we, we serve and, uh, and work. Like I say, I work as a college professor. That's a lot of fun in this day and age. But other questions? Anybody have any other questions? Yes, sir. Going back to the discipline, mm -hmm. um, I guess the question I'm going to ask, what is the main discipline that you find that you have to teach, you know, for... Uh, that's a, good, that's a good question, Kevin, and I will tell you that's easy for me. The main dis discipline that I have to teach is silence and solitude. We don't know how to be quiet. We don't know how to not have noise. And so that's a real problem in our society. And so I have to teach that. We practice that. Uh, we'll take them off for a weekend away sometimes, and you'll have three hours. Don't talk to anybody. Lay your phone right here. Take your Bible, a pen, and a piece of paper and go. Right? You're going to be quiet. You may hear the sounds that God gives you to hear, but only those sounds. And, and so that sets a precedent for them. We try to do an initial retreat, and, and uh, that sets a precedent for them to be able to know what that silence and solitude feels like. Because when you stop it down, 
and you're not thinking about, oh, I got to go do this. Oh, the phone's ringing. Oh, I need to look at this. Uh, and I make them take a paper Bible because if you start here, the email pings and then you're done, right? Silence and solitude, over. And so we set the table. That's part of discipleship. We have to help people figure out how to do that in a society that is nothing but a cacophony of noise. So is that a good answer? That's my answer. What about you, Crystal? I would totally agree with that. I'm going to come close to you. So come close. Okay. <laughs> Hi. Hi. I'm going to talk with you. She's um, going to yeah, talk Yeah, I would totally agree with that. My husband and I have listened to Michael Todd, whether or not you agree with his theology. One of the things that he shared was moving at the pace of grace. And it is just something that is really, really difficult to teach people how to slow down. I was listening to somebody else teaching about this, and he literally slowed down his speech <laughs> intentionally. And he did this for like a minute and a half and people were squirming in their seats. And then he stopped talking and it felt like about three and a half minutes. It was 43 seconds and people were losing their minds. So uh, putting our phones down and teaching them how to disconnect with yeah. the world so that they can reconnect with God, that's probably the yeah. hardest thing. Yeah, it is. And the slowing piece, if you're from West Virginia, it's already, you're already slow. <laughs> you think, I'm from West Virginia, so I can say that. I talk slow, I think slow. I listen slow, so it has to be slow, <laughs> right? No, but that is really one of, the, one of the worst, one of the hardest things to teach people because we just don't practice that. It's not a thing we practice in the church. Can you imagine if you're sitting in church on Sunday morning and your pastor just stops talking and there's no music? I'm like, just imagine that. 45 seconds. If you're a pastor, give it a shot. See how your people just, what's going on? Is something wrong? They start looking at the tech booth. What's happening here? You know? Pastor done that. Yeah, a moment of silence for. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I have to admit, you're right. I, it's, yeah. Okay. Thumbs down. Is it, right? Is it, are you done yet? Are you done yet? And so we, we don't capture God, the presence of God, in that small a space. Right? So we have to practice that, that discipline of silence and solitude. I don't know. One of the ways I've done that in my prayer life is. My pastor said the name Yahweh is breath. It's breath. And that mm -hmm. verse about everything that has breath, praise the Lord. So before I start praying, I just take a couple minutes to just breathe. Yeah, just breathe. And, and just, just stop mm -hmm. and just breathe. And it just gets mm -hmm. my heart in the yeah. right place to do it. Well, breathing centers us, right? God yeah. gives us breath. And so as we breathe in and breathe out and remember that the breath that we have in our lungs comes from him. Like there are songs about that. Question. So especially with this is the last question, then we're going to give some stuff away. It's okay. With you as a professor mm -hmm. and other professions, when you're out in the workplace, mm -hmm. and this is a you know, modern world, and and things that you can say and can't say, and you know, uh, how how do you take that discipleship to that place? So I am uh, privileged. Uh, to be able to work in a Christian college so I can speak that in everything I do. And so I train organizational leadership through the lens of discipleship because that's married up. They're, they're not different. They're the same thing. 
Um, so I teach and train that way, but there are other settings where I'm not able to do that um, at, at quite as freely. And so I just let people know, this is who I am. I've had friends that, because I try to keep friends who don't know Jesus so I can always have somebody I'm bringing to Jesus, right? That's what we're supposed to do. I had one friend told me, I don't want to hear about that God stuff. And I'm like, okay, but here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm not trying to proselytize you. I'm just telling you that Jesus is the center of my life. So for me to talk about any subject that doesn't include Jesus is probably going to be near impossible. So when you hear me talk about Jesus, just, just ignore that. Five years my later, right, my choice of life. Five years later, she calls me. She was going through a messy divorce. And she said, can we have dinner? I said, yes, we can. And so I start praying. I said, where do you want to go? She said, meet me at Carabas. We go to Carabas. And I was praying on the way there, Lord, whatever you need me to do in this place. It was a 90-minute wait. I'm like, whoo! <laughs> 90 minutes of a captive audience. And so I didn't, I didn't start out talking about Jesus, but she came around to that subject. And then she said, we were getting ready to take a group of women to the mountains, whitewater rafting and rock climbing and rappelling and all that stuff. Can I go with you? I said, you do understand that this is a Christian retreat. We're going to be having devotions. We're going to be praying. She said, yeah, but I think I need to go to the mountains. I said, come on. We get up to the mountains and we were having prayer time at night where we'd sit one person in the middle of the room and everybody in the room would pray over them and just bless them. And then they would finish out with a prayer. So everybody had prayed over her and she uh, pipes up and says, Dear God, it's me. I know I haven't talked to you in a long time, but I need you. And I just nearly fell out on the floor. It was just that place of saying, you just be faithful. You be faithful to honor God and be who God calls you to be. But that's only learned in those times of silence and solitude where I don't feel like I have to push that on her, but God takes the reins and the Holy Spirit engages. Man, that bit at the end was so stinking encouraging to me. How many times have you been discipling someone and it just feels like, man, this isn't working? Or maybe it just like completely falls apart. That's happened to me. That's incredibly discouraging and it's kind of hard to be motivated to trust the process to get back on the horse again. I'm so encouraged to hear about that situation with Cindy's friend where it seemed impossible, but she just kind of kept being herself, being the person that God created her to be and kept that door open to her friend where the Holy Spirit was really able to get a hold of her at the exact perfect time. All right, y'all, thanks so much for listening. We have another Bonhoeffer Project episode coming up next. Hit subscribe if you haven't already. Enjoy the rest of your day, and I hope to catch you on the next episode. We'll see you.